The Big Beat manifesto goes, Big Beats are the best, get high all the time. Right. At the time, it felt like a much more all-encompassing philosophy. This is contagious. Yeah. This is outrageous. This is contagious. All right. You've brought a snake. Yeah. Oh, God, he's brought a venomous plus one. Whoa, snake. Massive. What's it called? Don't know, fucking rental snake, innit? It, it is safe, isn't it, Hans? Yeah, it should be. Red next to black. Jump the fuck back, red and yellow, cuddly fella. But red is next to black. Yeah, I don't know. It's fine. He's been milked, I should think. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Elt Dude Brothers podcast, episode 37, Honeymooning. My name's Laura, and today I exist in an alternate timeline where Johnson is dead. And my name is Sean, and I exist in a parallel universe where Tony lasted five miserable series. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing good. I'm really excited because, well, I'm not really excited, but I'm sad. But I bet you're excited because this is the last time I can talk to you about the Winter Olympics. Yeah, and also I'll be pleased because it means the telly goes back to usual. So I won't be hunting around looking for things on the BBC and find out they're on the BBC News Channel and stuff like that. <laughs> uh did you see how the team gbr women's curling team did i did not how did they do oh well they were going to get a bronze medal but then they totally they totally <laughs> jested it up and ended up in fourth place oh so. shit i saw some girl fell over in the skating and got she was out in skating one of our british girls at some uh, point this week yeah i think it was speed skating oh yeah uh I, I've never really watched much speed skating before this year, and uh, I was amazed at how many times people fall in speed skating. I was just like, oh, interesting. I'm surprised they don't break more bones. When this girl, I mean, I don't know any of the details. I just know she was Team GB, and she fell over, and she was out. But she felt she went down like an absolute sack of shit, and I thought, there's no way she has not broken her leg. But she, she got up, and I thought, well, fair enough. That's Your bones must be made of rubber. Yeah, these in the speed skating, they can sometimes get up to like 30 miles an hour and yeah, they eat shit and thankfully those barriers are just like uh, padded on the outside so when they hit it, they don't mm. really hit a solid thing, they're hitting, you know, a nice fluffy thing. Yeah, yeah. How's your week been other than watching the Winter Olympics? <laughs> uh, well, it's good. I've um, My uh, mentoring with the new class was over, so I've been back to taking phone calls, so it's been kind of a weird adjustment of um getting back into doing my actual job that i haven't done in the last four months oh and how are you is it all right getting used to doing that again uh it's a little depressing because <laughs> i really enjoyed not being on the phones yeah um but it definitely makes my day go by faster because my whole schedule is plotted out for me I don't have to make any decisions on what I'm going to do with my day. It's just literally phone call, phone call, phone call. Well, I guess anything that makes the day go faster is good. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to you about honeymooning. Mm -hmm. um, I This is one of the, this is like a pet project that I have for this podcast. And um, one of these days, Laura, one of these days, we are going to get people and we are going to like act this puppy out like an old timey radio broadcast. It would be great and to be able to act it out or hear someone act it out because it's so hard just reading something to kind of get the feel for what they intended. One of these days, I really would like to do that. So if you are interested, I know that I talked about this like a long ass time ago, but if you are interested 
in reading one of the parts, just let me know and maybe we'll see what we can work together with these goddamn schedules and people all over the world listening to this show. Yeah, so. do you think you've got a voice for radio? That would be great. You don't even need a voice for radio. All you need to do is just be able to read read lines. <laughs> Have you got a voice and can you read? That's, that's all yeah. you really need, yeah. Yeah. So, there was a guy that was on our Facebook group that was talking to me about this last night. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll put you down as one of the people that wants to read a, a line. And he was like, no, no, I don't have a voice for it. And I was like, if you can fucking read, you're going <laughs> to fucking have a piece. You're going to have a part in this. Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to kind of talk about what this episode is about? It, it's kind of, it's hard because it's so different from where it eventually anything in picture eventually ended up there's kind of there's no context but do you want to kind of give us a brief overview sure um when you say that do you do you mean like what has happened in this alternate season uh series three that leads yeah us so how did we end up here because this would never have happened in the season we got okay so basically in series three initially elizabeth marmer who played tony and rachel blanchard who played nancy were supposed to come back um, for whatever reason, they decided not to, and so it kind of changed everything that had happened. In the alternate series three, Tony and Nancy were roommates. Somehow, Tony and Johnson ended up getting together and decided to get married. Um, and Jeremy, how do you feel about? Sorry, go on. Oh. Go, you've not finished. Carry on. Oh, I was just gonna say, and then Jeremy is still constantly pining for Nancy. Um. And yeah, so that's pretty much what leads us to this point. How do you feel about that as a an alternate universe peep show? How do you think that that series three would have gone? Would you have preferred that? Did you like what we got? Well, not knowing how each individual episode would play. I mean, because I feel like that we're looking at like the final act of a play without having seen any of the other parts leading up to it. So it's, yeah. it's kind of hard to say. I really enjoy Series 3. You know, Mugging is a great episode. Um, Christ. I love Series 3, and now I can't remember any of the names. It's the Ing, <laughs> it's the Ing series yeah. where they're all... Yeah. Fuck, hold on. Oh, yeah, we got Mugging, uh... Sectioning, Shrooming, Sistering, Juring, which is the only weak one, and then, of course, uh, talking, which we both mm. enjoyed. Um so not knowing what happened in the previous five episodes, it's kind of hard for me to say whether I think I would have preferred um, this alternate series three to what we got. Mm. How do you feel about I was, it? I was thinking about, yeah, I was thinking about this myself and I kind of thought, I see, I know you hate Tony. I never hated Tony. I don't particularly like her, but I don't think I hated her with the fiery passion that you did. I think it would have made more sense to have Tony continue to be in it because it is a bit weird how she just goes away and never, is never mentioned again. And obviously it would have made more sense for Nancy's been it. But I somehow feel, and I don't know if you agree with me on this or if anyone knows what I'm talking about, it's hard to articulate, but I kind of feel like there's a, this definite sea change between series one and two of Peep Show and series three onwards. And maybe that is because they had to make such changes, but they're almost two quite different shows, I would say, for the first couple of series. And then they become something different, not worse, just different. And I think had this been allowed to play out, we might have had a series three and onwards that would have been more in keeping with what came before. 
Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? No, that makes perfect sense. I always think about it like Seinfeld, where the first, you know, two seasons of Seinfeld were vastly different from, you know, everything that came after it. And I definitely know what you mean, where there's a, a big, uh, there's a big shift between series one and two, and then a big shift between series two and three. But basically, mm. three to eight are kind of all the same. I think that it would have been a shame to have never found um, Big Sue's. I think even though for the first maybe few episodes she's in in series three, she's a bit jarring because she's she clearly wasn't meant to be there and it's they've clearly shoehorned her in a bit. She becomes a really funny character who adds a lot to the show and adds a lot to Jeremy's backstory. So I think that it would have been a real shame had we never got to meet and see Big Sue's as she be- turned out so i think from that point of view that it, you know this was a good thing that this didn't happen because we would have lost out on some great big sue's moments oh my gosh i didn't even think about big sue's not being in the show at all mm. like she's just such, yep. to me she's just such one of the quintessential characters of this show yeah yeah it would have been weird but in this world there is no big sue's or she does exist but we haven't seen her yep um so I guess we can kind of jump right in. Now, what I did do was I did make some notes on scene setting. So mm-hmm. um, obviously, since this episode was never filmed, and for the most part, people haven't really read the script, um, I just want to give people kind of an idea of the context of what's going on in the scene to yeah. help you understand. Um, um, just a word about that, actually. Somebody on our Facebook group asked... Um, about reading it and I have I have made a PDF of it I don't know if it'll be possible for us to share that in a way that's accessible but it might be useful for people if they're interested to read this before they listen or after they or just in general they might be curious as to, to reading it so if we can share that in some way that'd be great yeah um and then what I'd like to do is once we're done talking about the episode I'd like to talk about how it actually kind of uh changed into quant talking not yeah not like crazy in depth but just a you know yeah, yeah. Okay. Definitely. So the first scene we have, they are at a go-karting track. We have Jeremy, Mark, Superhands, Tony's ex-husband, Tony, and some others. Uh, Jeremy, Mark, Hands, and Tony, and some other blokes are standing around a go-karting track having some beers. They're all wearing go-karting outfits spattered with paint. Superhands has paint on his head and looks really pissed off. They are watching two go-karts speed around the track while shooting each other with paintball guns. So I guess that really this is a uh, this is the genesis of what we later got in is it series seven when they go paintballing? I can re- very well imagine this because they did end up kind of making a version of this later on, didn't they? Yes, and I'm also pretty sure at some point that Alan Johnson, out like why did I say his first and last name? He, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that at some point Johnson says something about uh, paintballing while go karting. Yeah, I think he does. I think you're right. And so, yeah, so this is just kind of a very Johnson um, kind of stag Thing party. Yeah, yeah. Jeremy is very confused about the makeup of this engagement, or of this stag party. He wonders why Super Hands was even invited. Does Johnson know that Hands and Tony used to fuck? Why was he invited? He certainly knows that they have hooked up before. Um Mark, as is typical, is just really in admiration of the stag party. He's just like, paintballing and go-karts, the ultimate stag. This is Johnson all over. This is so Johnson. Yeah, um, Jeremy isn't quite so sure. He's, like you say, doesn't know why he's been invited. He says that the whole uh, weekend's been fucked and that that so-called sex show last night was, wasn't up to much. 
Uh, but we find out that the sex show in question was actually the vagina monologues and that Johnson booked it thinking it sounded sexy, but obviously it turned out not to be. Uh, and Jeremy makes the comment that this is going to sound good when you tell Sophie it's the first feminist stag note. <laughs> <laughs> See, and there's like, for me, I really think there's some great jokes in this episode because I think that one is really goddamn funny. Where I agree with you. There were a lot of lines that they did later use at some point, but that was a an idea that never got picked up again and it it did make me laugh yeah um mark kind of just says yeah about Soph. i decided to pull the emergency cord play my joker card i'm gonna take her on the ultimate romantic weekend in paris should get us right back on track um uh, yeah i in my notes i made a, a note to talk to you about this which was that obviously in this version they're just going on a romantic kind of last ditch trip rather than getting engaged. And that made more sense to me. Um, I always felt that the idea of them getting engaged was forced. It always felt forced to me. I always felt like they, even Mark, or certainly Mark, who was bizarre in some ways, but not, but cautious if nothing else, would not have proposed to someone that he'd never lived with or didn't really know that well. Um, and this makes more sense to me that they'd be going on like a, a last ditch attempt to save their relationship. Yeah, and I think that we should also make sure and and refresh where it seems like that Sophie is still living in Bristol. Yes, so at this point, they were still um, separated by the Bristol promotion, weren't they? Yeah, I'd completely forgotten that Sophie had been living in Bristol. She was she, she was still living in Bristol during Quantalking, though, wasn't she? Uh, Yeah, I guess she was. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. Okay. Or that was the end of her living in Bristol, that part. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you that I always I felt like that the wedding thing just kind of came out of nowhere, especially with Sophie just being like, oh, look what I found in your backpack. Yeah. I Yeah, it never sat well with me. So or it never felt natural to me. So this kind of does make more sense. Yeah. Um, Johnson at this point, uh, kind of he walks. He's done paintballing with the other guy. They walk over to join the group. Johnson has this big paintball gun and it just says the Johnson painted on the side. <laughs> there's there's hardly any paint on him and he just kind of swaggers around and he's just like talking. He's pointing the paintball gun at different people and he's just like, yeah, how'd you like a taste of Johnson's Johnson? Hey, guys, you want some more? <laughs> <laughs> I can really imagine that happening, uh, that that I can perfectly imagine Johnson doing. Oh, my God. I'm kind of sad that we'll never get to hear him actually read that line because <laughs> he's just like oh my god he's just would you like a taste of johnson's johnson yeah see i can't even fucking do it so i'm not even gonna try <laughs> um at this point johnson starts to fuck with hands who's pissed off because he's been shot in the head without wearing a helmet um he's covered in paint and johnson tells hands that he should never take his helmet off in a combat situation to which hands says that he wasn't in a combat situation he was having a smoking a cigarette at the time, but Johnson's just, you know, all's fair in love and paintballing, clearly. Yeah. Uh, I really I really like that, where he's just like, I was sitting on a plastic chair smoking a rolly, and Johnson's like, plastic <laughs> chairs don't mean Jack Mac. You were a threat, and I had to eliminate <laughs> threats. That's just what I do. Um, Johnson, obviously, is drinking, which is worrying for Mark, um, but Johnson seems to think that he is the exception to the alcoholic rule that he can start drinking again and it's not going to affect him. Yeah, I love this. Uh, Mark just kind of says, uh, Johnson takes this big swig of beer and Mark just looks at him and he's like, Alan, are you sure you're... And, and Johnson's just like, don't sweat it, Mark. It's my stag. And Mark just says, I know, but I thought, you know, 
your your problem in all that and johnson just says this is another great johnson line by the way look mark they say alcoholics can never drink again but i'm not um but that's because most alcoholics are a bunch of fuck-ups and dunderheads i'm the exception that proves the rule now bottoms up <laughs> of course we do again see a, a sort of variation on this later on he doesn't he doesn't quite fall into the states of decrepitude that he, he does in this episode but yeah, later on in new year's eve he does start drinking again and we he gets a taste for cool white wine ain't that fine i believe is what he says um so we do see we see glimpses of this johnson but never quite to this extent yeah um uh, next scene we are back at apollo house uh, Mark and Sophie are getting ready to leave for Paris. Sophie is packing some stuff in her suitcase. Mark is on his Blackberry. Yeah. Now this scene is in the script. It is, um, there are stage directions that suggest that they're getting sexy with each other, which made me realize that we never see Mark and Sophie really get sexy with each other, not in an, any kind of genuine way. And that kind of, it, it kind of made me realize that perhaps their relationship had, was different in this version of Peep Show than it became because they're always quite awkward around each other. But this seemed to be quite a natural sexiness that, that never really came through, I don't think, for them. You know, I never thought about that, but yeah, you are 100% right there. Yeah. Um, they are packing to go to Paris, which geographically makes more sense than going to the Quantox. It's just one train. I think if I was going to take someone somewhere romantic, I'd probably take them to Paris rather than the West Country. Um, and Mark is on his Blackberry... Um, doing some work stuff i just want you to know that that sound from a, an american perspective that just sounds fucking insane that um like paris is it's easier for you to go to a different country on a romantic vacation than to go west in the country you live in yeah well paris is much closer to me sitting here than it is than the west country is i'm sure it is i'm sure cornwall is yeah it must be paris is probably only about 50 miles from here if i wanted to go to cornwall it's about 300 miles away, I think. So, yeah, it's weird. We live on a small island. That's fucking insane to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Sophie is saying that she's really looking forward to this weekend. She was getting tired of the whole Bristol juice bar crowd. I mean, smoothie, smoothie, smoothies. It's still just fruit, you know. <laughs> uh, which, of course, is a line that she does later on use in the series. Um Mark is very enthusiastic about this stress buster weekend. He says it's going to be so stress busting that they're going to bust their stress so bloody hard it won't know what hit it, which does not sound relaxing. That doesn't sound like a thing Mark would say anyways. No, it's a bit, it's a bit Johnson-y, isn't it? It's, um, I agree, it's not very Mark. But he obviously is doing uh, some research for Paris on his mobile phone. He's cross-checking some restaurant reviews uh, with regards to dinner tonight. And Sophie asked him to take not take his mobile phone because she's sort of getting sick of his workaholic bullshit yeah yeah uh, it's really funny to me because i mean this episode what when was series three what year was it like 2000 2005 yeah so this to me seems like fucking cutting edge and if i was sophie i'd be like hell yeah bring your goddamn smartphone with us yeah i thought that i mean i, I was trying to remember what sort of mobile phone i had in 2005 and I, de it, well, I didn't have like a steam powered mobile phone i was pretty much you know whatever was whatever was cutting edge i had it but i couldn't have checked restaurant reviews on it it wasn't that cutting edge so mark has clearly got a pretty snazzy smartphone before smartphones were ubiquitous yeah um 
Mark is still kind of talking about dinner. And at this point, Sophie kind of starts stroking his shoulders and she's acting all flirty. And she's just like, hey, you know, we've got half an hour before the taxi arrives. And Mark is just completely like oblivious to what she's, you know, trying to insinuate here. And um, he's still just trying to send email reservation requests. And Sophie's like, starts kissing his neck. And she says, can't you do that later? And then Mark just thinks to himself, or says softly, yeah, actually, you're right. I can just do that on the train. And Sophie's just like, no, you're not bringing that thing to Paris, are you? Yeah. Um, so he agrees to not take the phone to Paris. And they, um, you know, embrace. But we see Mark secretly tuck his mobile phone into the inside pocket of his, his jacket. Um, he is going to take his back to Paris, whether Sophie knows about it or not. Yep. Jeremy walks into the room at this point and they kind of break it off and Jeremy just says, you know, hey, are you getting ready for the lovely weekend? You know, Nan Nancy and I, we never went on a holiday, not even a honeymoon. Looking back, I think the whole visa thing screwed things up. We got married too soon. Another couple of weeks and everything probably would have been fine. Yeah. Um, so Sophie asked him what he's going to be doing. Um this weekend and he reveals that he's going to be spending some time with Johnson which is surprising to Mark and obviously surprising to us as an audience as Jeremy and uh, and sorry Jeremy and Johnson never really hit it off as friends yeah I, I mean I wonder if this season we would have seen more of that Jeremy Johnson friendship because I actually think that the two of them are really really funny together yeah I think they could have maybe had a comedy alliance um but Jeremy says that they're friends now because he's chilled out since the stag. He says, yesterday we were having a right laugh, playing ping pong with a hardback book and a peach stone and throwing eggs out of the window at passers-by. And Mark says it doesn't really sound like Johnson. Um, and uh, Jeremy says maybe it takes a guy like me to bring the fun side out of him. Um, but clearly it's not Jeremy, but it is the booze that's brought the fun side out in Alan. Oh my God, I didn't even catch that. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I like hear how Jeremy says that that aspect of his personality is why he thinks he'd be so good on Big Brother, but he's applied five times and has not even gotten on it once. Have you ever seen the DVD extras on series one where it's Jeremy's video audition for Big Brother? Yes, I have. It's very funny. It's a shame that that kind of never made it into the show. and Maybe this was there. They were going to start bringing that into the show, but it's well worth a look. It's on YouTube and it is just Jeremy talking about why he'd be brilliant on Big Brother. And then he ends up, I think, smashing a watermelon up with a hammer or something equally. It definitely involves a watermelon. I think he smashes it up with a sledgehammer. <laughs> and he says, this is why I'm just crazy. Like, this is the kind of unpredictable shit you get from me in the house. <laughs> uh, so we move on into uh, Paris oh, now. Yes. We've, we've headed to Paris. I can't wait um, to do so my... So we're in Paris. Go ahead, sorry. Your French accent. You're going to do your French accent for us, Oh, yes, you? I am. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so they go to the hotel and um mark and sophie are arrive at their hotel and it turns out that there has been some sort of problem with the oh well, there hasn't been a problem with the booking has there he hasn't booked anywhere hang on oh no it didn't no, it did we didn't see that they're talking about it so there's been a problem with the booking and they're now looking for somewhere else to stay yeah sophie says um you know, God, I still can't believe that lovely little place had no record at all of your booking. And, you know, this is kind of typical of Sophie at this time where the lovely little place is exactly the hotel she'd want to stay at and not the rich swanky place. Mm. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, the hotel receptionist here, her accent is described as Euro-American French International, which is, if you're not familiar with that accent, it's the accent that everyone's got at Disneyland Paris. It's like French people who've learnt English via Americans, basically. I'm going to attempt this accent, but I think it's going to just come out <laughs> Russian like Russian or German, <laughs> what it always comes out to. Okay, sir, I'm afraid we have very little available. There is an Excelsior room, but at late notice, <laughs> it is 800 euros. <laughs> that's too french for this accent they'd sound more like you these international french accent people but i did enjoy that nevertheless that was uh, that was gold that was uh, solid gold french right there oh my god i'm crying right now <laughs> 800 euros for this does seem somewhat steep and mark thinks so and he it says here in the script it's like he's been punched uh for one night and his inner monologue is, it's okay, it's okay. That's only 500 quid. That's merely half a plasma screen TV. Just eat a lot of noodles for the next two months. Yeah, so this is what I was going to ask you. Um, thank you for kind of segueing into this. So I always thought that one euro was one pound. Am I incorrect in that thinking? No, a euro is worth, well, it depends on the exchange rate, obviously, but a euro is worth slightly less than a pound. So let's see what it is today. Uh, Euro to sterling exchange. Wait, it's normally worth about 70p, I think, something like that. Okay. Oh, today it's doing well. 88 pence per euro. So let's see. So it's it's not far off being, but back then in 2005, the exchange rate was, was probably better. Let's see if I can find some kind of historical don't say we don't do the research for you on this podcast exchange. uh british to euro exchange rate 2005 uh, oh here we go by date oh fuck that okay oh yeah here we go what date do you want me to look up laura the middle of 2005 oh this one only goes back to 2008 oh hang on no i've got it for 2005 oh it was more then so a pound was worth about one pound. Or it was a, a pound was about a, a pound was worth about one and a half euros. Oh, okay. So yeah, this does come out right then that it was eight hundred euros, and Mark just keeps thinking five hundred pounds. Yeah, it's just because Brexit has tanked our exchange rate. So there you go. Goddamn Brexit. Mm, goddamn Brexit. Uh, <laughs> Mark says that uh, uh, he's like really you know, upset about this 800 euro hotel room. And he's like, oh, for one night. And he thinks to himself, you know, okay, that's only 500 quid. That's not terrible. That's half of a plasma screen TV. I guess I just need to eat a lot of noodles for the next two months. And then the hotel receptionist is like, per person. And Mark <laughs> is just like, oh my God, per person. <laughs> yeah. So he, he gives the receptionist his bank card and, just against his better judgment and instead of you know doing it straight away the receptionist is, is sort of doing paperwork <laughs> and he's thinking just please just swipe this before i change my mind please me already you lovely french bastard yeah and then finally the receptionist swipes the card and he's like thank you and then um <laughs> sophie kind of comes over and she's just like oh hey is this hotel expensive and mark is just like ah it's not as much as i thought and but in his head, he's thinking, tell her, tell her how much. No, that'll ruin everything. I mean, I thought this was a bit harsh on Sophie's part, because I don't know if I'm just... Sophie does seem to be 
posher than me. So maybe it's like a social class thing or whatever. But I've never been in a relationship where I wouldn't have at least offered the money, even if I didn't completely mean it. So most of my boyfriends have been like of similar age, similar earning potential and things like that. But I had a boyfriend who was significantly older than me and therefore I was a student and he wasn't, he had a real job and he was earning like real really real good money and I was a student and even then I would offer to pay for half of things even if I didn't mean it and he never said yes but I still would have offered why is Sophie not offering to give him some money here yeah I don't know I mean it's it's really strange she is very you know she obviously like makes as much as he does yeah she's very entitled Sophie I know we know this about her but this just highlights that yep and um and then she kind of looks around the hotel and she just says, ah, eh, you know, this place is a little biz- businessman-y. You know, eh, I appreciate it. And then she gives him, like, kind of a weak little kiss. And Mark just thinks, how much, though? How much do you appreciate it? 1,000 pounds? That was not a 1,000 pounds worth of a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Mark. Yeah. Um, so we go back to back to England. And back to outside Tony's flat. And Jeremy is uh, at the doorway with an official guy in a suit. And Johnson opens the door and he's in his dressing gown, holding a bottle of whiskey, pissed. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Johnson is like, hey, Jeremy, you here here for round two? And Jeremy's just like, "Uh, no, I was just here to come see my wife. And... Tony then comes up and she grabs Alan and she's like, come on, Alan, we need to kick some serious shit out of the florist over the corsage design fuck up. <laughs> oh, I feel sorry for Johnson, even drunk Johnson having to marry her. Oh, my um, God. I know. <laughs> um, Johnson isn't so sure about this. Um, Johnson and Tony go back into the flat and Nancy comes to the door. And this is where Jeremy uh, starts having a conversation with... Um, about nancy that makes it clear that the home office want to look further into their marriage yep he introduces nancy to the gentleman in the suit that is with them his name is mr parker jeremy says that mr parker is from the home office he's just checking up on our marriage and shit and uh (laughs) he says i was just going to explain that and then before jeremy can really continue the home office official is like i'm confused which one is the Merrill house they kind of make up some bullshit about having had a row and then they try and make it clear to the home office official that it's still on and they have a bit of an awkward hug but not sure the home office guy is into it he wants to go and look at the shared room (laughs) and again awkward yeah i like when uh nancy goes what color did you decide to decorate the room in and jeremy just says cornflower green question mark and (laughs) nancy just is like well that's what our tiff was about and then jeremy just kind of throws in right in ikea you know how it is and i don't know about you but fucking ikea has probably ended more marriages than it's helped me and my husband so in september we bought a new sofa we had um we had a windfall from i was in a car accident and i had some compensation and we decided to buy a new sofa with this and we were like a bit like Mark, we could buy the king of sofas, we the Rolls Royce sofas. The creamy so elephant. We're looking at sofa, the creamy elephant of sofas. So we were looking everywhere, but we decided to look in IKEA because they could design a sofa that would fit the exact space, and we liked that idea. We spent with our two children six hours in IKEA 
in their like sofa um, designing service bit. It was terrible. We spent three grand. We, I cried. We nearly got divorced. And I honestly think that Ikea, if we'd had to spend another hour in there, we wouldn't be married anymore. Like Ikea <laughs> is, is dangerous for married people. Uh, it was such a bad day. <laughs> it was The sofa's great, but that day was not worth it. Oh my God. I remember one time Nicole and I went to Ikea and it was the, there was a Ikea that had just opened up here and we spent like probably like three or four hours there. And by the time we were in line to check out and leave, I was just like, my God, if we do not get the fuck out of here, I'm going to go bat shit. <laughs> it's, um, it just, does, it does something weird to you, Ikea. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the lack of windows, but it really just changes people for the worse. Yep. Um, as they're kind of going through this, the home office official is ticking. It just says he is ticking boxes. It doesn't really say what he's ticking, but, um, and Nancy's just like, what are you ticking there, sir? No need to write so much. We're a happily, we're a happily married couple. And the home office official is says, oh, this is just a record of my visit. I'm afraid I'm officially dubious. Nancy is like, oh, don't be dubious. And the home office official is. I am dubious. There may be follow-up visit with a warrant for marital quarters inspections, summons of relevant items, and if we are still unsatisfied, deportation proceedings could begin. And then he kind of turns around and heads off. Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Obviously, Nancy is upset by this, so um, they decide that they need to start acting like a real married couple, or at least Jeremy does, and Nancy's got no choice but to go along with it, really. Um, um, she then makes some one of her funny comments, like she does in wedding, about how she's not going to go back to Santa Monica to be mummy's little girl with a rucksack full of broken dreams. <laughs> um, screw you, mum and dad, and your SAT guilt trip bullshit. And uh, and this is the beginning of their their fake marriage once more. Yep. And then before the scene ends, we get a stage direction that says Jez's uh show Jez's shit eating grin and. Then we cut to, and we are back in Paris. This, yeah, this, um, it's gone. Oh, I was just gonna say, this next scene is almost exactly from Quantocking, where they're trying to decide. Yeah, I was gonna say, this is essentially essentially the scene in Quantocking where uh, Sophie posts Mark's guidebooks, um, and they, uh, instead she throws it into a drain cover but it's it's almost it's not a drain cover is it it is a railway bridge no no it gives it gives you it gives options it says ah. it throws it it throws it down an open drain slash over a rail bridge slash somewhere irretrievable now that is funny but i think i prefer the subtlety of the post box posting I, that always tickles me when sophie posts his guidebooks in the post box and I actually think that that's funnier than a dramatic throw over a bridge. No, I agree with you. I like, especially when Mark is like, Jesus, can she just post the book? Like, <laughs> I expect she thinks that's charming in French. Yeah. Which is funny because now they're actually in French. Or in France. In, yeah, France. yeah. Good Christ. In French. Um, yeah. So you are American. Yeah. Uh, that we'll just blame it on that. Um, yeah. So just to recap, this is where, um, they're trying to decide where they eat, going to eat. Sophie wants to eat somewhere that's, um, you know, like an undiscovered gem. And Mark is just like, oh, fuck. I just want to eat it someplace where we know the food is going to be good. And then she, like we said, throws the book away. Yeah. 
So now we are back at Apollo House. Yes, um, Jeremy is carrying the luggage out of his bedroom because obviously Nancy and Jeremy have got to uh, make this look real. So they've decided to go on a fake honeymoon together to fool the home office. Yep. And uh, so they're going to just take a trip to France and, uh, yeah, take pictures and make it look like that they were on a honeymoon. Unfortunately, Tony enters into... Hang on, what's going on here? You were all right down there. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously not. I, like I just... human dominoes. I, I heard a voice that just sounded like, oh my fucking God. <laughs> Please get down here. I'm not sure what's going on. I can just hear Esther just clomping. I don't know what she's doing. It's fine. They're going into the room. Carry on. Sorry. Oh <laughs> Phil's voice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Please don't tell him I was laughing at him. Oh, my fucking. It's all right. I was like. In the other day, he said, where I've been there, he's like, I'm mum and dad at the moment. This is not much fun. That's what that voice is. That voice is him being <laughs> mum and dad. <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, so at this point, Tony just kind of busts into Apollo House and she is crying. She just says, Alan's lost it. The wedding is off. And Jeremy's like, oh, my God, what happened? And Tony says that he passed out covered in puke in the bath. <laughs> He's been brandishing a gun, and I've duct-taped him into the recovery position and left a note. Oh, God, why me? And Yeah, a great line about the, the recovery position, which is used in Quantocking when, uh, is it Jeremy says he has, I think he says he's duct-taped super hands into the recovery position, yep. I recall. Yep. But it's a great it's a great line that is that clearly they always thought was funny, and they were right to think so. Yeah, I agree. Um Jeremy points out that it's just a paintball gun. Um, Tony says that the resort that they picked out for their honeymoon was destroyed by a hurricane. All the staff is dead, and that's just typical of my luck. And then she just keeps crying, and she's like, look, I'm fine. He's going to be so screwed when my brother gets a hold of the prenup anyway. I could just do with... I just don't feel safe right now. And Nancy's just like, oh my gosh, you should just come with us on our vacation. Yeah, um... Jeremy's not sure about this um, and he says that they, really she can't come because there only needs to be two people in the fake honeymoon photos to which Nancy points out that Tony could take the photos for them so that'd be even better yeah and Jeremy is just you know uh, he just thinks to himself oh Jesus why can't you keep your sadness and misery to yourself that's the English way <laughs> that's a very Mark thing to think I'm not sure Jeremy would think that yeah that does really sound more like a Mark line than a Jeremy yeah Lane. yeah uh we then cut to a dingy french restaurant uh, and mark and sophie are at the table eating in the dingy french restaurant uh, and this is a very similar scene to the one we later get in quantum king where they're in the restaurant where everyone's food looks awful yeah and again they're just kind of sitting around and they're trying to make small talk with each other but they can't really make small talk with each other and mark is just like Oh my god, maybe we traveled forward in time 20 years and oh, we're one of those couples. You just got to say something, just say anything and Mark is like, "What do you think of the chairs? Quite okay, aren't they?" Yeah. 
Um, then a man uh, leans over to start talking to them, and this is the French incarnation of Gerard and Isabel, which explains why they've got French, such French names in Quantocin. Oh, yeah. I guess I never thought about that. Mm. And explains why they're smoking like trains as well, because not many people smoke here. I'm sure, like in America, it's not really... No one smokes very much here anymore, so it explains why they're so smoky. Yeah. Um, we get that line where Isabel says... Oh, he thinks I hit his lighter. Do I look like the sort of person who would hide their husband's lighter? And Gerard's like, she also doesn't look like the kind of person who would strangle a cat. But I haven't seen Maximo in four days. <laughs> it's a great, great little exchange. Um, Mark, as in Quantokin, realizes that there's something wrong with them, that they're sex people or drug people. Um and but Sophie is enjoying talking to them. She seems to be enjoying the exchange. Yeah, Isabel says he likes to mock me in public. I think it makes, I think it makes a change from doing it at home. And Gerard says, "Well, yeah, because you can't beat me with a shovel in public." And Isabel says, "Oh, don't listen to him. I never hit him with a shovel. I wrap him in the fire blanket and just roll him down the stairs. That way, there's no bruises." <laughs> this does sound like the sort of thing I might say in public that my husband would get really embarrassed about like the hitting with a shovel thing is the kind of thing I say to people at checkouts and my husband's just like don't talk to people at checkouts I was going to say that might be a good way to discipline the girls <laughs> <laughs> rolling them down the stairs they'd probably enjoy that anyway so it'd be like part fun part discipline I, I think uh, that's something to consider <laughs> Oh my god, I hope nobody from home office listens to this. <laughs> Social services on my ass. Yeah. Uh, um, Mark kind of quietly asks Sophie if she's okay with the situation, and Sophie's just like, fuck yeah, I'm excited to be meeting new people. Um, I think Sophie's a little like bitchy here, because she just kind of starts talking to them in French, and they talk and laugh and ask Sophie if her and Mark live in Paris. She says no. They start to kind of ask her questions about where they are staying, what they are doing, and Sophie complains that they haven't even seen the real Paris yet, and Gerard and Isabel are like, oh, we can show you the real Paris. Um, that is kind of bitchy. Yeah. While all this is going on, Mark is just kind of thinking to himself that he doesn't want an adventure, and when he asks Mark what, or excuse me, when Mark asks Sophie what they're talking about, Sophie just kind of cuts him off and says they'll explain later. Uh, yeah, Mark thinks to himself, well, fuck you, I'm not the village idiot just because I speak one language and that one language happens to be spoken the world over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we see that now, also that we now see... Jesus, how? why is this phrase so hard for me to say? We also now see that Nancy, Jeremy, and Tony have arrived in France and they are sitting at a table in a French bistro. Uh, yes, they are uh, talking about the photographs. Nancy says, are you sure there are enough of them? And they look French enough. And Tony says, you can't get more French than the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> Which, uh, it's a great line. <laughs> um, and uh, Jeremy says, yes, although they've got all of us and the Eiffel Tower in them. Don't you think that's going to make it look like a honeymoon was kind of Eiffel Tower based? <laughs> Which is a good point. When we went to France, the hotel that we stayed was very close to the Eiffel Tower. So... Regardless of what we were actually doing, the we walked past the Eiffel Tower probably like three to four times a day. Oh, see, they could have just been in that hotel. Eiffel Tower's not really in Paris, is it? It's like on the outskirts of Paris anyway. So they, um, the kids just said they were like, you know, enjoying a more suburban getaway. 
Really? I man, I guess I must not know anything about the geography of Paris then. It's it's not in central Paris, is it? It takes quite a long time to get there from the. I think it is on because it's on a different. It's not on the metro, is it? It's on a suburban railway line. Don't quote me on this. I've not been to Paris for a while, but I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. I. Hold on a minute. I'm looking at a map. I Jesus. I don't even care. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Neither of us are from. Um, neither of us are from fucking Paris. So if we that, don't know true. shit about Paris, like just fuck off. It does look. Did you like Paris when you went? <laughs> so kind of the coolest thing about Paris was the fact that pornography was just sold openly on the streets. Because <laughs> I was like 16 when we went there, and there was like a per- there was right. like a pornography vendor that was like right by our hotel. <laughs> Did you go on a school trip? No. uh... This was the infamous trip when I went uh, with my folks when I was 16. Oh, and you came here as yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, we decided to spend, like, three or four days in Paris. But, yeah, every time we would leave our hotel, I'd walk just right by the pornography vendor, and I was like, oh, God, that is so cool. But I didn't know how to say, I want to buy porn in French, so... <laughs> <laughs> they're a lot more open about these things in France. We, uh, I've been there a lot because obviously it's so close. But we went there on a school trip when I was about fourteen, and that was oh my god, why is this crying again? I'm sorry. That was carnage. Like what? Just one hundred and fifty schoolgirls in Paris. <laughs> just any, no one's idea of a good time. And um, yeah, there was you saying about the pornography. I'm trying to think of some of the terrible things went on. Some girls busted out of the main trip and went to a sex shop. <laughs> And got served, I think, as well, which is, I don't know what the rules are in France about these things, but they clearly were 14 and ended up buying, like, some lube and stuff and were <laughs> chucking it around the coach. And it was just, oh, my, God. Oh my goodness. That's so funny. Um, yeah, so my experiences of Paris are maybe less sophisticated than the ones that the peep show guys are having. No, I, I think I also have told this story before as well. <laughs> Actually, I know I have because my cousin mentioned this to me, but I just remember when we were driving into Paris... My uncle, who was driving his right-hand drive car, was, like, he was, like, already, like, freaked the fuck out about, you know, having to drive on the left side with a right-hand drive car and was just, you know, like, oh, this is the worst. And then my cousin just started squealing in the back and my uncle's like, what, what? And she's like, daddy, my Tamagotchi's done a poo. And I was, <laughs> I know I've told that one before, but yeah, that's. That, that that in the pornography are my two strongest memories of Paris. So I can't imagine how difficult it would be to drive on the wrong side of the road anyway, much less in a car that had been designed for the other side of the road. Like what is he doing to Esther down there? What the fuck is going on? If I was to shut the Holy door, he's gonna shit, murder me. She... <laughs> she means it. Yeah. If you need to go down there, that's fine. No, I'm I'm not going down there, don't worry, I'm sorry. I'm not that stupid. Phil, can you shut the door, please? Yeah, well, I'm trying to get <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, my God. I feel so bad laughing right now. <laughs> okay, I think it's died. I think that it's died down. <laughs> oh, my God. I feel like such a dickhead right now. Oh, God. God help oh, us. Where were we? We, were talking, we started talking about the geography of Paris for some oh, reason. Oh, okay, yeah. So Nancy, Tony, and Jeremy are talking about the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Um, um, uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, and then Jeremy is uh, Jeremy asked Tony to leave them alone and give them some privacy. Nancy's like, why do we need privacy? And Jeremy just says, 
oh, the that bloody Blair could have sent the home office guys here to spy on us and they should just at least do some canoodling and Nancy's like, no, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Um, they start doing some like revision of each other, the things they think the home office are going to be interested in. Oh, what's going on? Um, But she's trying to get to eat dinner, but I'm not quite sure how she's trying to get to eat dinner. This doesn't seem to be very successful. Um, and this involves things like how do, do they floss? How many sexual partners have they had? And was there anything else? Uh, no. Uh, and they start talking about their sexual partners. And Tony asks if she counts as a sexual partner. And they're like, Oh, of course, because of the hand job. Well, no, because they had sex. Oh, of course they did have sex, didn't they? But then there was also the. The hand yeah. job, which Jeremy tries to make out that that's the only thing that went on. Yeah, I like this where, uh, where, um, yeah, Tony is like, uh, I just totally lost my fucking spot here. Where, where is, oh, I guess I, anyways, um, yeah, they just start discussing their sexual history. Tony wonders if she counts because it was after the wedding. Um, Nancy says no. And then Tony points out that they did hook up, but it was just a hand job, and it was just because Jeremy said he was dying of cancer. And he makes, in the book, it says he makes this obscene noise when he's when talking about the uh, hand job. <laughs> makes an obscene squirty noise is actually the direction, which is disgusting. <laughs> and Tony says it was a sympathy toss, which I think is a fabulous line. Yeah. Um, and Jeremy then says, "Look, this is not going to come up." Can we just get back to uh, to to what we were talking about before, which was the her past, which was the uh, firecracker firecracker up the raccoon's ass on the day of the senior prom, which I would like to know more about. <laughs> Knowing the twist in this episode, all these conversations they have are just so goddamn funny. There. Uh, um, we then cut back to. Oh, sorry, gone. Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah. We then we cut back to. Mark, Sophie, Gerard, and Isabel, and they are at their flat, and the flat is described as shambolic. Yes, um, it's a weird flat that it says in the stage directions is uh, weirdly appointed, and Mark is sitting on the sidelines with a glass of wine as Sophie dances with Gerard and Isabel, and they are dancing to Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Which, that song also plays a huge part in uh, the American Peep Show episode. (laughs) Oh, of course it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that this is playing because this is like what French, they think French people listen to. I don't know. But Mark <laughs> is not enjoying himself. Um, he's watching them dance. And in his head, he says the perfect romantic weekend with the screwed up alcoholic 50-something weirdos. Um, he is looking through the bookcase, trying to kind of take his mind off this. And he is thinking about the books they've got. Uh, Doris Lessing. He thinks that he might turn out to be a massive Doris Lessing fan. You never know. This weekend might not turn out to be a total write-off. Yeah, I like how that's uh, Mark's like kind of go-to way to assess people is just to look at what books they have in their bookshelf. Well, that's how you should assess people, by looking at their bookshelves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, let's see here. Um, Isabel then, uh, or Sophie then kind of comes over and she wants to know if Mark is having a good time. Mark says he's having a good time, and it's a great adventure. At this point, 
Gerard repeats what he's saying, but it's in a mocking tone, and it's kind of hard to figure out if it's meant to be cruel or funny. Yeah, um, Isabel then asks if they'd like to stay the night there, which Sophie's enthusiastic about, but Mark is upset about the amount he spent on the hotel, and he wants to sleep there if he's paying for it. And Sophie tells him not to worry about the hotel because this is a real experience. And Mark says that's going to be okay, but clearly he's going to fester about that money for the whole time he's staying there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he wonders about maybe calling the hotel and asking them if they can just put in his luggage in the hallway so they won't have to charge him the full cost for the room. <laughs> and But he sees that Sophie is having a good time, and he thinks to himself, you know, the important part is that Sophie is having a good time. The fact that it, she's not having a good time with me is entirely secondary. <laughs> Poor Mark. Yeah. Um. Now we're at the. Then we. Go ahead. Parisian bar in the evening, and um, so yeah, we cut to this Parisian bar in the evening, and Jeremy and Nancy are uh, in a North African bar that's playing French hip hop, and Tony is dancing with a North African guy called Raoul. Raoul, who doesn't have a single speaking line, and there's no reason that this character should ever have a name, but. No, but but uh, Tony's enjoying dancing with him nevertheless. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jeremy and Nancy are kind of making small talk. And Jeremy all of a sudden just looks at his watch and he's like, oh, my gosh, we missed the train. And Nancy says, oh, really? That's exactly what you said we weren't going to do. Yes, he thinks they should get somewhere to stay for the night. But Nancy wonders how, considering they're both broke. If they're that broke, how did they get the Eurostar to Paris <laughs> in one day? Like, they can't be that broke. It's not It's not like a cheap train. Um uh, but there's a solution. She's decided she's going to call Sophie um, since Sophie and Mark are both in Paris and see what they're doing, see if they can help. Yeah, I like that Jeremy's suggestion on what they can do overnight is grab a baguette and a bottle of wine from a... You'll have to pronounce that word for me. Bol uh, hang on, I'm not looking at the script. Where is it? Uh, Boulangerie. Boulangerie, okay. yeah. Cuddle up on Jim Morrison's grave. Dupain, Duvin, Duborsin. <laughs> <laughs> Borstin is a I don't think it's really a French thing it's uh, I think it's an anglicized cheese that we're meant to believe is French but it's a Borstin is like a it's like the kind of cheese that's it's advertised over here on the TV with someone with like a cod French accent a little bit like your one <laughs> and someone uh, and someone telling us that if we eat this we'll be really sophisticated oh hello would you like some cheese <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh my god I'm loving this I'm I know people are going to hate this accent, but I'm fucking loving it, so. <laughs> um, then um, she gets in touch, and it turns out that obviously the hotel room is free. So Nancy says that, you know, we can go and stay there. There's, we've got ourselves a an empty five-star hotel suite, con courtesy of Sophie and Mark. Um, Jeremy's excited by this. Um, and he, in his voiceover, he says, empty five-star hotel suite in Paris. This is not going to be the hardest seduction of my life. Everything's going to be nice and easy, just as long as I get her really, really incredibly drunk. You know, one thing that um that also happens in the scene that I think is really funny too is that as soon as Nancy leaves to go call Sophie, Tony comes over and tries to seduce Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, she's a bad person. She is a bad, bad person. <laughs> um, so next, I really this is one of the scenes that I really wish I could see filmed because this next scene sounds really goddamn funny. But Mark and Sophie, we go back to Gerard and Isabel's apartment. Mark and Sophie are in a bed in the spare room. It's a grim box room with a thin futon on the floor. No curtains and loud traffic noises can be heard coming from the street. 
Mark is still lamenting to himself about all the things that he could have spent a thousand pounds on a new Sony Vio TV, a weekend in Vancouver. Sony hates the futon because it's too hard to sleep. Did I say Sony or Sophie? Sophie. <laughs> okay. Uh, she hates the futon because it's too hard to sleep. Mark tells himself, don't lord it over her. Yeah. Um, the door opens and a figure comes in and it is Gerard. He is carrying a tray of petit fours. He puts the tray down on the table and he's totally naked. <laughs> he smiles drunkenly. Mark and Sophie are freaked out. Yeah, Mark just thinks to himself, I can see his dong. I can see his dong. I'm looking at his dong. Stop looking at his dong. <laughs> Mark just says, uh, Gerard tells him that he's got some petty fours and Mark just says, oh, thanks. That's very kind. And Gerard's like, yes, we're very kind. Are you feeling very kind? And Mark is just like, oh, my fucking God. <laughs> Yeah, um, Mark doesn't quite know how to answer this, and Gerard says me and Isabel will come to find out if you want to be kind later. Um, and then <laughs> the door closes, and we end on Mark and Sophie's freaked out expressions. Oh my god. <laughs> of course, they would meet the swingers while they were on vacation. Of course. Yep. Well, we cut to the very expensive hotel room. Uh, Nancy's in bed asleep, hidden underneath the duvet, only her hair is visible. There were a lot of minibar bottles, um, empty cans, etc. all over the floor. Um, the room is dark, just one side on. Jeremy is perched uncomfortably on the bed next to Nancy. I wonder what that means. I wonder if that means that, that Nancy is sleeping, like, towards the side, and he's, like, just crammed between Nancy and the side of the bed. Because it doesn't... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's that. You're, you're right, because if it's a, a large bed... She, you know how much room is she really taking up why would he be perched on the edge yeah i don't get that at all unless he's kind of perched on the other side next to her so maybe he's come around to talk to her because he does he's now whispering to her desperately yeah he's saying nancy nancy please wake up please wake up and get off with me or i'll jump out of the window seriously i will <laughs> <laughs> At this point, we see that Tony's also sharing the room with them because she comes into the bathroom and she climbs into the other side of the bed next to Nancy. So they're sharing the bed. Um, and uh, clearly this is an uncomfortable kind of three three in the hotel room this night. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Jeremy just kind of tells Tony, he's like, listen, I was thinking maybe you should take the sofa so you can watch TV or carry on talking while I go sleep next to Nancy. Um, before this conversation can really go anywhere else, Mark and Sophie open the door and Mark just says, hello, all you people in my hotel suite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jeremy asks what happens and Mark tells them about the, the, the fact that Gerard and Isabel are perverts. Jeremy asks if that just means they're French. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark clarifies that no, they, they are in fact French perverts, which is like doubly perverted. I really love that line. <laughs> Uh, it's a shame that they didn't use that line because I think that joke is really fucking funny. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, before Mark can kick Tony, Nancy and Jez out of the bed, uh, Sophie says that she'll just make them a mattress out of towels since they're so soft and fluffy here. And Mark is really annoyed about this because the room has cost them a thousand pounds. Sophie tells him not to worry about yeah, it. Yeah, she said there's a million spare blankets. We'll make a mattress out of towels. It'll be amazing. And then she asks if they should have their heads at the loo end or on the door end. <laughs> 
Which do you think? Because uh, I'll, um, I'll tell you what I think after I hear what you think. Uh, the door end. I want to be at the door end. Yeah, I think that's probably that's where I would go as well. But my only concern about that would just be getting my head bashed in with the door. I think I'd rather get my head bashed in with the door than have my head potentially in a dried puddle of piss from where someone had, you know, there'd been mm, some tricklage. Yeah. That's, that would be my worry. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Unless I personally had the bottle of bleach myself to clean it, I'd rather get my head bashed than sleep in someone else's piss. Why are they sleeping in the bathroom? Why aren't they just sleeping on the floor of the hotel room? Yeah, that's a good point. Surely in a hotel this expensive and luxurious, the bathroom would be massive anyway. Yeah. I bet the tub would be big enough. I bet they could do, like, the Jeremy bathroom tub from season nine. Yeah, you um, you read my thoughts there. I was just about to say surely they could sleep in the bar. Um, the next morning we are by the river Gauche and I don't really know why it says that because it then says oh, Sophie and Mark yeah, walking beside the Seine. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. Which is the, which is the river in Paris. So they're walking next to the Seine and, um, Mark is asking, do you think Nancy and Jeremy made their train? Do you think Tony's going to get out of our hotel room? <laughs> <laughs> and Sophie says she doubts it because... Uh, you know, so nice. But then she says, hey, that was some pretty fucking nice tales, weren't they, Mark? Yeah, and he's like, oh, so luxurious and fragrant. I actually <laughs> think that they were more comfy than my bed at home. It's probably a good thing we didn't get the bed because that would have been too pleasurable. <laughs> oh, poor Mark. I could just hear David <laughs> Mitchell's delivering of this line, too. Yeah, so can I. Um, um, they are then... Um, Sophie then asks Mark if she, he wants an ice cream and Mark says he does. So Sophie goes to get some and while she's gone, he takes the opportunity to check his battery. Yeah. I really liked this, by the way, when she's like, oh, would you like rum raisin? And he's like, and she's just like, you'd like rum raisin. Yeah. And she runs off and he just thinks to himself, I hate rum raisin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that is the worst flavor. Why would you go rum and raisin? I agree. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever had rum raisin ice cream before. It sounds. It's all right, but it's not. It's not like the one you choose out of all the delicious gelato flavors out there. It's it's fine. It's a bit seventies. <laughs> um, Mark, like you said, he finally is like, "Oh my god, I have some privacy finally!" And he takes his BlackBerry out of his pocket, and um, he checks the voicemail, and there's a voicemail from Johnson. Um, I'll just go ahead and read this verbatim. Uh, yep. The stage direction is, sounds depressed, sounds terrible. Hi there, Alan here. Hope you're having a great time in Paris. Just thought you should know that sometime during the next 12 hours, I'm probably going to shoot myself. Just thought you might like to know that. Be really great to see you, man. Bye. Does this sound like a Johnson voicemail to you at all? It doesn't sound like a Johnson voicemail at all, but I guess he's, you know, not the Johnson we've come to know if he's pissed and depressed. But I agree, it's not very, very in character, is it? Nope. Um, Mark all of a sudden is just like, oh my fucking god, no, 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 I've got to get back to England, oh my god, but then if I tell Sophie about this, she'll know I brought my phone with me, and why did I bring the stupid phone? <laughs> um, he turns back to Sophie and sees her watching, uh, buying ice cream, so he decides he's going to speedily send a text which just said, hope you are okay, Paris great, see you on some. <laughs> I like the way the text. I like the way the text is uh, fucking written out too, which is hope. The letter yeah, it's like U, abbreviated. The letter R. Okay, Paris, great. 
letter C, letter U on sun. <laughs> we just take things. And his, we just take things like fucking keyboards for such granted now. I mean, goddamn. That's true. We do. You know, this is potentially. It's either it's either potentially poor or potentially interesting, depending on where you stand on this. But about five years ago, they used to be a part of the English language GCSE where we had to talk about. Um, different forms of communication and text messages were one of those forms of communication and when the it must have been longer ago than five years it must have been more like 10 years ago and when they sort of set this part of the curriculum obviously text messages were abbreviated like that because people just had just had the the normal alphanumeric keyboard that they used on their phones but then in that time smartphones became a thing and, and we suddenly got these quirky keyboards on our phones and it completely changed how text messages were sent and it meant that we had to completely change how we did this piece of work. And in the end, it ended up getting phased out because I think that there was nowhere for it to go. So this idea they had about a communication being abbreviated just suddenly died because suddenly we weren't abbreviating anymore and we were all writing our text messages out again. So, yeah, you're right. We completely take it for granted now that we don't have to abbreviate everything and we haven't only got so many characters. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, Mark's voiceover then is... That's the ticket. The ma the maintenance text. Keep things simmering on the back burner. Plus, it's so flavourless. There's actually no proof that I even listened to the message. Yeah, I could very well not have listened to the message if I don't know anything. There's nothing I can do. Maybe I don't know anything at all. <laughs> yep. Uh, Sophie comes back and she says they didn't have rum raisin, so I got you chocolate chip. I hope that's okay. And Mark is just like, yeah, that's even better. Yeah, they smile and continue their walk. And Mark's voiceover is, this feels good, this feels right. Just forget about everything, relax and enjoy the perfect weekend. They stop taking a lovely view, they smile and they kiss, and then Mark thinks, I just really, really hope Johnson doesn't blow his head off. <laughs> yeah. With the conversation we had a couple weeks ago about your gun laws, I'm just surprised that Johnson would even have a gun. I think Johnson would be able, I think Johnson would know the kind of people that you don't need to know to get a gun. I reckon he's got some pretty shady contacts. Maybe the Yardies? Exactly. I bet Johnson knows about the Yardies. <laughs> um, so next scene, we are back at Croydon or at Apollo House. Um, Jeremy is watching Nancy complete a little shrine of framed honeymoon photos on a shelf in Jeremy's bedroom. There are other items involved, including an Eiffel Tower keychain, some cheese and a half bottle of red wine. Nancy is just like, oh, my God, this honeymoon looks so great. I wish we actually had done it. <laughs> yeah. And um <laughs> um, <then laughs> Jeremy says we did have a pretty fun time though didn't we Nance and Nancy says it was kind of a blast in the end it reminded me of when you and me were going out and we went to that weird place and Jeremy just says Nottingham <laughs> she says yeah fucking Nottingham and I drank that cider and went to that place where the hobos hung out now you've probably never been to Nottingham but I have uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty dire excuse for a city but I really enjoy that this was the most romantic time they ever had was in Nottingham. Yeah, and I like how Jeremy's just like, oh, that was a pub. There was the, um, oh, in Nottingham, though, it's got the oldest pub in, I want to say Europe, but, but certainly in Britain. And maybe that was where they were because it's pretty fucking dingy in there. Is that where uh, Robin Hood and the Merry Men used to meet? <laughs> it's right by the Robin Hood statue, actually. And I think it's like, I want to say it's it's in a cave. Or it's like carved out of the side of a cliff or it's got some sort of like geo, what's the, not geographical, the other geo. What is that? Thermal? Geothermal? Stone. 
yeah, some sort of geothermal thing going on because it's got like stalagmites and things in it. It's I'm sure it's in a cave, but it's the hello, oldest. Mommy. Oh, hello! You've come to join in, have you? <laughs> it's the oldest pub in somewhere, oh. uh, and it's pretty dingy. I bet that's where the hobos were hanging out. As the uh, <laughs> as the scene is going on, Jeremy's phone rings and it's Mark, and Mark is on his blackberry in a cafe and he's watching sophie go into the women's room um mark tells jeremy that he just got a voicemail from johnson and that he's planning on killing himself he sent alan a text but he's still worried about it and he asked jeremy to go next door and check on alan jeremy's just kind of like yeah i don't i don't think so i don't think so but mark says hey hey you know that that bottle of champagne and mark's like or jeremy says yes and he's like you can have that bottle of champagne if you go check on alan and then uh, Jeremy just says, really? Okay, what about the hamper? And Mark is just, oh, Jez, mate, come on. Look, you can have some of the pickles if you must, but not the whole hog. Just check. Yeah? And Jeremy's like, I'm sure he's fine. I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> a bit harsh. Is now apparently they're meant to be friends, and he won't even go and check he's not killed himself without a bribe. I know, considering that they're, um, you know, that they live, like, practically freaking next door to each other yeah um jeremy then says hey babies and nancy it's time to crack open the champagne champagne for the sham marriage uh he goes to the door and just goes to in his voice his voice over he thinks better go and check now i know what i'm like no time give myself a break i'll check later after i get this party started better if i'm a bit pissed i'll be able to relate he opens the fridge takes out the champagne and pops it open Oh, the more I read this episode out loud, the more I really, really wish they would have made this episode. Yeah, I think it would have been funny. Yeah. Uh, back on the Eurostar, Mark and... This is a really short scene. Uh, Mark and Sophie are on the Eurostar in first class. Sophie really did have a lovely weekend, and she really appreciates everything Mark did for her. And she kind of puts her head on his shoulder to, to take a little nap. And Mark, all Mark can think about is Johnson's voicemail, and he can't focus on the kind things that Sophie is saying to him. Yeah. Uh, we then cut to a pub yep. where Nancy and Jez are having a drink. They're a bit pissed. Um, Nancy's finishing up a story, which ends with when my dad was tanked up, mum used to lock him in the basement and just take us to get chili corn dogs. It worked great until he got pneumonia, <laughs> which is sharing a little bit more of uh, Nancy's dysfunctional backstory. Yep. And then, before she can finish, she just stops, like, mid-sentence, and she just goes, oh, my God. And Jeremy looks to where Nancy is pointing, and we see Mr. Parker at the pub wearing his rock and roll-style clo clothes. Yeah, it says he's in his civvies, which is a it's a really old-fashioned expression. I don't know if you have that here, which I really appreciate. Um, When we were at school, and we used to get to wear our own clothes, like, on a uniform day. We had a headmistress who was very old, and she used to say we could come in in our civvies, which I think is like an army term. Yep. I enjoy that. Um, and Nancy says, it's the guy from the home office. They must be following us, just like you said. And there's some panic where they decide how they're going to look, you know, in love enough. I love this. Um, I love this. Uh, Nancy just <laughs> says, quick, put your arm around me. Uh, quick, put your arm around me. And Jeremy's just like, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, he puts his um, arm around her, looks queasy, and then super hands comes over uh to the home office official with a pair of pints and then they start to laugh and joke yeah um 
and Nancy then says, oh my God, they're nobbling your friends. Um, and they kind of start getting freaked out thinking about how this is serious now, if there's, you know, if they've started talking to super hands. Um, but, and they, you know, Jeremy says he thinks they should go, but Nancy says, like, if we slink away, they all think that we've definitely got something to hide, so we should go and confront him. Uh, Jeremy's not so sure about it, but Nancy strides over and decides that she's going to, you know, confront him. Yeah, and she walks over to Mr. Parker. She says, hi there, super hands. And then she looks at Mr. Parker and she says, nice to see you again. How are you doing? Jeremy and I have just got back from a Sunday brunch at his mom's, and now we're having a lovely afternoon drink in our local pub. And uh, Yeah. Uh, but, um, Nancy it has obviously explained this. Pete looks uncomfortable. But then it turns out that... Um, uh, that Superhands knows doesn't know about this. Superhands knows him and says, uh, "Oh yeah, you've met him. What was he doing? Was he punting your way? Some of his so-called tie stick or one of the dodgy E's that make your lips go blue." <laughs> yeah, uh, Superhands also reveals that this guy's name is Pete and not Mr. Parker. Yes, uh, Pete. Well, he could be Pete Parker, but he refers to him as Pete. Pete's trying to save things here, and he's like, "No, it was because sometimes you don't know this, but I work for the Home Office." And Hans is just having none of it. He says, sure you do, mate. And I'm a fucking undercover agent for the World Bank. Jez, tell her where we know Pete from. And Superhands Super get kicked out of shot. So it's quite clear now that Jeremy has employed Pete to pretend to be from the Home Office and to, to make Nancy have to pretend to be married. Or well, they are married, but pretend to want to be married to him. Yeah. Uh, after kicking him, Superhands just looks at Jeremy and says, Jesus, what was that for, you little shit? <laughs> And Nancy at this point starts to realize that something is going on here. And she says, Jeremy, you know Pete, but how come you didn't say anything about it when he came around the first time? And Jeremy's just like, oh, business and pleasure, didn't want to. And then Nancy just realizes it. And she says, says you're not really from the home office, are you? He put you up to coming around and threatening to deport me. Well, I'm sure you think me getting deported is a joke and I don't. And then she exits out of the bar in a huff. Yeah. Um, Jeremy is doing in a very Jeremy way, what we've seen him do lots of times before begging for a woman to come back. He says, no, Nancy, it's not like that. It's just the only way I could think to spend more time with you. Don't go. I love you. And Superhands then kicks Jeremy back. <laughs> and Jeremy says, fuck, what was that for? And Superhands says, consider this score settled. Yep. <laughs> to which uh, Jeremy responds by kicking super hands again, and he says, bollocks, you know what's going to happen now, don't you? A war of attrition. That's what you've started. Yeah, and then we just sort of leave them kicking each other, having a kicking fight. Yep. We get a very jarring transition to this next scene. In fact, Laura and I were both talking about this jarring transition before we came on the air, because we literally go from Jeremy and super hands kicking each other to Mark and Jeremy in a hospital room. Yes, um, they're in the hospital and they are both looking anxious in the waiting room. Um, and Mark says to Jeremy, thanks for the advice, Jeremy. He definitely won't do it. And Jeremy says, I genuinely didn't think he would. Look, I just said that because I thought that's what you wanted to hear. I was trying to be your mate. And then Mark says, he was definitely okay when you checked up on him, right? Before you had the champagne and all the pickles and the cheeses. And Jeremy lies and says, yes, he was fine. Straight after, straight after we talked, I went and saw him. What a dickhead. What a dickhead. I... Uh, Jeremy then says he seemed happy. He was sitting up in bed, eating chocolate truffles, reading a classic car mag. Yep, Mark just says, how could he have gone downhill so quickly? Like, 
what the fuck could have happened? And Jeremy just says, I don't know. It's strange, isn't it? Almost like a mystery. <laughs> uh, Mark, in his head now, thinks about how he's a horrible human being, how he has this, um, what had this one weekend in Paris, and that he's so selfish because he couldn't, you know, risk spoiling that one weekend in Paris to save his mentor. Why didn't I come back? He'll know I got the message before I texted him. It was probably the final straw, the final insult, the text too far. He'll say, Sophie will find out I took the phone and then ignored a bloody life or death message. And then in Jeremy's head, he's thinking about poor Johnson. Plus when Mark finds out I didn't check on him, I'm going to look like such a twat. I nearly killed a man. God, that is terrible. Mark doesn't let me forget when I leave the lights on for almost, so for almost killing his best mate, he's going to be a total monkey on my back. <laughs> This is the kind of scene that would have just begged to have a peep show with no monologues where you would have just seen them both sitting there in the uh, in the waiting room, both of them just looking like they were, you know, gone through hell and back. Yeah. And Mark then makes an allusion to what we were talking about, that he didn't even type out the proper words. I could have at least bothered to type out the bloody proper words. And then Jeremy thinks he's going to make, Mark's going to make him pay for the champagne. The bastard. Sophie comes down with some cups of tea and she sits down next to Mark and she takes a hold of his hand. She says to him, oh, you look terrible, Mark. Don't worry. You've done everything you possibly could. You've been such a good friend. Mark kind of smiles anxiously at her and he's like, I could tell her I want to see him alone. Ah, fuck it. He'll tell everyone at the office anyways. I'm so screwed. I should just confess. Honesty is the best policy. Yeah, and then he goes to tell Sophie, he says, Sophie, I think there's something I should. And then the nurse approaches, looking concerned, and she says, excuse me, I'm afraid I've got some bad news. Mr. Johnson just passed away. Yeah, Mark is like, what? And the nurse just says, you know, oh, I'm sorry, but with the amount of painkillers and alcohol in his system, there was nothing we could do. And Sophie's just, oh, my God, and starts to cry. Mark just keeps thinking, Johnson is dead? Johnson is dead? Oh my god, if only I'd come back. Poor dead Johnson. Uh, yeah, and Jeremy thinks, oh Jesus, he actually, but people don't actually, it was just a cry for help. He just wanted his friends and neighbours to help. And then, uh, in a moment that I don't think would really happen, Johnson's dead body is wheeled out past them, <laughs> past the grieving friends by two hospital porters. And Mark thinks, although I guess that Sophie... We'll never know now about the message or the phone. I am sort of in the clear apart from my mortal soul's point of view. But obviously, there's no such thing as the mortal soul. And then Jeremy begins to see the bright side too. And he thinks, of course, now Mark will never know. I didn't check on him. I'm kind of golden. Deadly golden. Yep. And Sophie's just like, oh, Mark, it's so awful. And Mark is just like, I know, I know. And um, uh, Jeremy thinks to himself, it <laughs> maybe now Johnson's dead and Tony's left the country. I could move in. What? What? When did Tony leave the country? Yeah, that wasn't that was not that was not in this script. So clearly, that was they were going to add that later. Yeah, um, he says maybe now that Johnson's dead and Tony's left the country, I could move in with Nancy. And uh, Mark just is looking down at uh, crying Sophie on his shoulder, and Mark just thinks to himself, a heartfelt embrace, bonding through tragedy, plus got to be in a pole position to head up marketing. Everything's perfect, <laughs> sort of. And then the end of this episode and of what was meant to be the end of series three is Mark and Jeremy look at each other with sad, both sad, but also with slightly mixed feelings. And then just imagine flagpole sitter coming here and boom, you've got yourself an episode. Yep. 
Wow. So, how do you feel about that episode having now been through it? And do you still feel that we, this is not what you would like to have seen? Or are there any elements of this you would like to have seen? I actually really think this whole, like, suicidal friend having mark asking jeremy to check up on him like this whole part at the end i actually am surprised that it never got worked into another episode because i actually think that that's really funny where um jeremy's like oh he'll never know i didn't check on him yeah i, I agree with you i guess it's a bit too dark in a sitcom to have someone i mean i, I know spoiler gerard dies later on but he is kind of done with an understated kind of the character's not so it doesn't loom so large johnson's been such a large part of it and was clearly meant to be such a large part of it in this series and to kill him just a bit cold i don't i don't know how i don't know how that would have flown with the viewers yeah yeah i think it would have been i, I don't think it would have been good and i think it's for the better because we aren't even at peak johnson yet and we are getting dangerously close to peak johnson yeah i don't I like Johnson well enough, but I'm not mad about Johnson in the way some people are. But I think Johnson is an asset to the show throughout it, and uh, it would have been a shame to lose Johnson. So I'm glad that he doesn't doesn't die in Real Peep Show. But I find it interesting that he that they thought that might be a good way for it to go. Do you think that him and Tony would have been a good coupling? Could you see that happening? I, I you know what I actually could have because. Tony is a take no is a no bullshit kind of person and so is Johnson and I think that they would have just had a wonderful no bullshit relationship yeah I agree with you I can really see them together not that I actually think Johnson and Big Sue's together are a really good partnership and I enjoyed that but I can see I think that Johnson and Tony are a more natural couple than Johnson and Big Sue's even though actually Maybe because of the actors, I don't know. But Johnson and Big Sue's have got a lot of chemistry. I really believe in Johnson and Big Sue's later on. I do. I love Johnson and Big Sue's. Everything between those two is so goddamn funny. <laughs> yeah. Without Sophie and Mark getting engaged in this episode, do you think that they would have ever ultimately ended up getting married? Yeah, so I was thinking about this, and I don't think... I'm not sure they would have done. I... Or... I don't know. What do you think? No, I don't think they would have done. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that they would have gotten... I, yeah, I don't think they would have gotten married. Although, it does seem like... Oh, and I guess... Yeah, we'll talk about this a little bit, too. Is that... After the script had gotten written, they got some feedback. And one of the feedback was... Um, where is it? Um, the thought was Mark marrying Sophie was a bit mental, but now I'm not sure... I may well be moving in with X, clearly a terrible idea, in a desperate attempt to try to make everything okay and stable. I did a similar thing with Y, and that worked pretty well. So if you need the line of reasoning, I can do that. And so that was an email from Ian Morris, who is I, the script editor to um, Armstrong and Bain. Uh, so I could see, I could see kind of where they were coming from. I totally get. See, when I said, I think I touched on this earlier when I said about that, I never really believed they would have got engaged like that. I can completely see that they that that it's completely in Mark's character to think he's making everything like he's not had no experience with relationships. He thinks he's making everything better by wanting her to move in and wanting her to, to get married and stuff. But I just think the way it happened, I think Mark's too cautious for that. I think Mark would have wanted to live with her first. I agree that you know i've done similar things where you kind of think oh okay i'll just keep going along with this and it will it will get better 
and it will be fine. Not with the person I eventually married, I hasten to add, but with someone else. And you just think, okay, I'll just continue with this. And I can see Mark doing that, but I can't... What I was never comfortable with was Mark just deciding, oh, I'm going to propose to Sophie. And it, it wasn't even that big a deal. Like, we never saw any kind of run-up to it. He didn't talk it through with Jeremy first and kind of say, oh, help me by the ring or whatever. He just did it, and that never sat right with me. So this seems like a more natural way into I think Mark and Sophie would have st would have still had that relationship that was doomed but I don't think it would have had the the sudden wedding in the middle of it yeah I also really like this line too from the notes on the first draft and it says one of the problems with this draft was that Mark and Jeremy didn't spend enough time together so we went back to our big dock of ideas and revisited an old favorite getting lost up in a mountain together we rethought the setting to accommodate this Paris not being a favorite from a production budget point of view either and we came up with the idea of Mark and Sophie accidentally getting engaged, which seemed to be a good way of cranking up the Jeopardy. We also brought Super Hands into the mix more, and it's great to have characters like him that you can bring in when you're looking to up the laughs. And so basically from there, they wrote Quantalking, and then, or Mountaineering, I should say. And then from there, they transformed it even more into the Quantalking that we know and love. I can see, I can see that about the idea of like up in the Jeopardy that when when you've only got a certain amount of time to play with it, it's not like writing a novel where you've got endless amount of time. You need to do things quickly and you need to show, not tell. And that getting them engaged was a way of like kicking it up the arse. I can see that it got things moving in a way that they wouldn't have done. But I just think from a social and cultural normality point of view, Sophie and Mark would not have got married in the way that they did. Yep, uh, 100%. And... Um... That is everything with Honeymooning. See, by the time you guys listen to this, the Series 2 debut of This Country will have already aired. And how was the Series 2 debut of Mum? Yes, it was brilliant. Um, really good. Uh, Twitter was, was very enthusiastic about it. I was doing a bit of a, not quite a live tweet, but I was, I was, I was talking about it with people as it was going on. And, and it was really good. And I'm really excited for the next episode on Tuesday. And like you say, we've got the Series 2 premiere of This Country tomorrow, which I am really excited about. Me and my husband have been counting oh down the gosh. days. Um, and I listened to the WTAF guys. Uh, I listened to a couple of their episodes that I hadn't caught up on while I was doing some other things on Friday. And they had Daisy and Charlie Cooper on for um, an episode. And they were talking about... They, they couldn't talk too much about what happens in Series 2 because there's an embargo until tomorrow to kind of talk about storylines and stuff. But they were hinting at a few things, and it sounds brilliant. I'm really excited. Yeah, I actually jumped into their live stream when they were live streaming that, and Daisy and Charlie were amazed that anybody from America had even heard of the show. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I'm sure there's not just you. I'm sure there are other people, but I don't know if it's even got any kind of airing over there, has it? So I don't know how anyone else would nope. have heard of it. You need to, It's like a word-of-mouth thing, I think, for you, you guys over there. Yep. All right. Well, that is everything from us. And we will be back next week with Series 6, Episode 1, Jeremy at JLB. Oh, yeah. I did want to actually ask you just before we go was that um, are you obviously going into Series 6 is quite in the same way that we talked about this kind of change between Series 2 and going into Series 3. I think there's a sort of sea change between Series 6 and Series 5. Are you, I think most people would agree that the quality maybe wasn't as good is that a controversial thing to say as we go into series six seven and eight and i just wondered if you're how you're feeling about a, sort of going into those 
maybe Wilderness Years series where perhaps it wasn't as good as it previously had been? Or am I making massive assumptions that you don't feel there? No, um, I am not really a huge fan of Series 6 outside of um, The Party. Mm. Um, Series 7 has some good ones that I like. Series 8... Series 8, I think, is has a lot of episodes that I really enjoy. Um, especially when because we, we start getting into the life coaching. And I fucking love Jeremy the life coach. Mm. And then, yeah, Series 9, which I actually think... Um, you know, Series 9 was weird because when I watched it the first time, I remember thinking, like, eh, this wasn't that good. I have a strong feeling that when I watch through Series 9 again for this podcast that I'm going to go, eh, it's pretty good. See, I, see, I'm completely opposite. I really loved Series 9. I loved it then. I think I still love it now. So I'll be interested to see if I still feel as enthusiastic about it as I did then. I don't feel very enthusiastic about Series 6, 7, or 8. I'll be upfront about that going in. I'm I'm not looking forward to, to, to the Mommy. next... Oh, hello. I'm nearly done. I'm not looking forward to the next... Um... Could I just go and get some paper? Yeah, you can get some paper out there. To the next 18 episodes, necessarily, because none of them stick out for me, and I think, oh, they were brilliant. But I'm sure I'm going to find some things I've forgotten I really loved in the next three series. So that's and, that curve. And I'm really looking forward that, to... Uh... That's like... Yeah, it is like earphones. I'm really looking forward to talking about That's Series like 9. I must tell you this before I go. So, Sadie asked me earlier on, I can't, oh, so she went to the hairdressers today for the first time, and to get her into it, we were pretending we were playing hairdressers, and I was brushing her hair. And as I was pretending to be the hairdresser, I was asking her questions. And I said, What do you like to watch on the television? So she was telling me, and she said, What do you like to watch on the television? And I said, I like to watch Peep Show. And she said, You don't like to watch Peep Show. Peep Show is your job. So, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> My three-year-old thinks Pink Show is my job. Aw, <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> oh. All right, well, let's not fuck up the signing, the sign-off. No, let's time, let's so. remember to honk. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, <laughs> this is the L Dude Brothers signing off. Eh, eh, eh. Bye.